Welcome everyone to Soccer 101. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and on this week's episode, we're spending some time in the United Kingdom to discuss football's oldest rivalry, England versus Scotland. The two countries played the first international almost 151 years ago, an event they commemorated on Tuesday evening with England earning a 3-1 win in what was labeled the 150th anniversary. Some confusing timekeeping there. But how did that rivalry come to be? How has it evolved? And what significance does it maintain in the 21st century? Here with me to discuss that and much, much more is a man who may well be sporting a headache after yesterday's events, <laughs> either from drink or frustration. It's Graham Ruthven. Hi, Graham. Hello, Taylor. Yes, certainly sporting a headache from Andy Robertson just passing the ball straight to Jude Bellingham inside the box for him to score. Yeah, it's it's inadvisable, I would say, to do that with uh, Jude Bellingham, particularly in the with the form that he's in at the moment. So I I think when we talked about this game yesterday, somehow missed the historical significance of it. Did you feel any added weight with it being the 150th asterisk anniversary of, of this fixture, or was it just another game? No, I think it's just another game against yeah. uh, England primarily. I mean, they did have a lot of nice, there was nice videos before kickoff and there was like an old school, uh, like Scottish band that came out, old, old school makes it sound like the 50s, but like <laughs> a, a, an old timey Scottish band that came out onto the pitch and the program, like the match they program looked quite nice and, and I bought one of those. But other than that, it was mainly just an opportunity to give England a bloody nose, which backfired because that's what they did to us in a 3-1 win. <laughs> that feels like what they've maybe historically done to you all in terms yeah. of the overall record. But we're going to talk about the history. Let's go back to the original date of this one. Uh, November 1872, though that's not really the first meeting. They'd played each other a few times, though those are unofficial. FIFA doesn't track those. I'm guessing someone in Scotland probably does, or maybe someone in England. Who knows? Uh, but Graham, why is this such a meaningful game? I talked about it a little bit in the introduction, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on the significance of this one. So at its core, I think it's such a meaningful game because the origins of England v Scotland are essentially the origins of international soccer. Because Mm -hmm. as you mentioned there, Taylor, the the first FIFA-registered match between the two countries is in 1872, a place called Hamilton Crescent in Glasgow. It was a cricket club, and it's still a cricket club. I've been to a wedding there, and it's kind of weird to think that's where the first ever international Mm -hmm. soccer match happened so i think that's why it still has reverence and meaning even in 2023 and back in the 1800s england and scotland were the two countries that did more to shape soccer as we know it today than than really any other country at that point so the english fa codified the sport in uh, 1863 they established the rules that essentially still exist to this day and then after that you have scottish teams that turned the sport into a, a combination game so until then soccer was primarily a match or or a game a sport excuse me where one person would have the ball and then they would run and they would run into other players until they lost it and then another player would pick up the ball and they would run and it was kind of like rugby um in a sense and in that regard scottish teams most famously queen's park which is the oldest club in in scotland they created the passing game um so between the two countries soccer as as we know it and obviously there are a lot there are a lot more uh, evolutions that happened after that time. But if we're looking at the core sport, the rules of the sport, the sport as we know it today, England and Scotland really uh, really kind of forged it together. And then by 1870, as you mentioned, Taylor, there are, there are a number of matches, unofficial matches that happened between England and Scotland between uh, 1870 and 1872. But by 1870, you have the English FA publishing challenges in newspaper for yeah. Scotland to, to take on the England national team. 
I largely put that down to the fact that at that time there are there isn't another country to take on England. There are mm. no other um, associations in places places like Sheffield, which is really a, a pretty historic cradle of of the sport. But Scotland and England were the first two national federations, and that's why you have the first international match between the two countries. And in that interna- international match, some of what you've already talked about, Graham, uh, from what I read, was was on display. That you have Scotland's team, basically entirely composed of Queen's Park players, England's 11 coming from Oxford University, Cambridge University, the first Surrey Rifles, I don't think they're still around, and Crystal Palace, very <laughs> much still around. Scotland going with more of a passing game, England individuals dribbling, uh, running with the ball. The match notes noted that I think England had the the weight superiority as well as the physicality superiority and maybe the speed as well. Both teams playing with a fair few attackers, Scotland in a 2-2-6 formation, England in a 1-2-7. Uh, so some interesting approaches to that opening game <laughs> where no one scores. You do then, I think, have England scoring uh, uh, the first goal uh, of that fixture yeah. uh, in a later match but in the by opening a, one by a we man see called just to, just to jump in taylor by a man called william kenyon slaney whose middle name was also slaney so his name was william slaney kenyon slaney which is just a, an incredible name and also think that it's quite interesting that so he was a top level cricket player who would also go on to become a conservative party mp um and i, I think that is quite interesting that it, in the origins of football obviously over the decades, and even to this day, soccer in the UK and Europe certainly has its roots in sort of working class culture. But a lot of these original players, especially for England, as you say, come from like the top universities or are like from kind of the, the upper class, the higher class in, in the UK. So that, that is a shift that happened after the, the establishment of these teams and these uh, national federations. From your reading, Graham, how much like was it contentious about what the rules were going to be how much back and forth was there because from what i understand like england had a very clear idea of how the sport was meant to be played they invented it after all as they will tell you Mm. over and over and over and over again so like i I do then wonder about if they're sort of on the individual dribble and scotland are passing the ball if there was a moment ever where england paused and were like no you can't do that you're not allowed to pass the ball from one person (laughs) to another you just have to run into each other yeah, I'm not aware of any uh, any conflict in that regard. Maybe you have more information than me, than me, Taylor, on that subject. But obviously, there's no video footage of of the first matches that took place in in the 1800s. But from what I have read and what has been chronicled, yes, the sport was was very different. Um, as I'm kind of referenced, there's this weird paradox where the game was very physical, lots of balls in the air, not a great deal of of passing, certainly not from the England team in the early days or or combination play. But then it is also played by scholars and learned men. So a bit of a contradiction there again. And in terms of the equipment, it was big, heavy cotton shirts and big, heavy leather balls and everything was very, very heavy and you needed a a (laughs) neck of steel to be able to uh, head the ball, I think. Yep. Uh, and with the rules in place as they were, you could have the goalkeeper catch the ball and then run all the way to midfield to start an attack. Uh, you had different rules for goal kicks uh, and corners. Obviously, no yellows or reds or anything like, like no that. VR. So some interesting rules. And then, yeah, VAR a couple years away <laughs> at that point. Graham, you, I think you already kind of hit on it with England just needing somebody to play against. But why did this fixture happen? What, why do we look at England-Scotland as the sort of beginning of international football? 
from the Scottish point of view, these games were largely to, to grow the sport in mm. Scotland. So we are obviously a much smaller country than England. That was the case back then as well. But I think it's fair to say that association football, association soccer, whatever you want to call it, was quicker to grow in England than it was in Scotland. So at the time of the, the first ever FIFA match in 1872, there were only 10 clubs in Scotland in its entirety. So the idea was to create these big heavyweight clashes that that were covered in like the national media there are articles you can find in newspaper archives obviously no no uh, like national television or anything like that at that time but they they were widely covered i always think it's interesting to read newspaper articles from that time where there's just no flair whatsoever it's just completely straight down the middle chronicling of this is what happened here's when it happened this was the final result okay bye that's essentially every newspaper result uh, newspaper article at that time but yeah i think the idea was generally generally to to grow the game and as i say they were there was no one else to play if you were a national team these were the two national teams in 1872 this could itself be a soccer 101 episode or like a book if you want to like how do relations between scotland and england factor into this fixture this rivalry because i think for an american audience who like primarily understand scotland v england as braveheart there is probably an idea that like oh you guys hate each other from the jump and this must be like a, a very heated back and forth people getting punched violence all over the place it doesn't really seem like that was the case. Definitely rivalries, definitely some trash talking, some some uh, some challenges issued in newspapers and the like. And I think some more contentious flare ups throughout the history of this one. But it doesn't feel like overall there was necessarily a like we hate you, you hate us. Let's play football as a way to vent this frustration. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm just going on what has been chronicled and recorded, but I think you're absolutely right. There was a lot of overlap between the two national federations at that time, I believe. Um, Queen's Park would often go down to England to, to almost hold like, um, I'm re- reluctant to call them like soccer schools or something, but essentially to, to, to teach the combination game around universities that would play soccer in England. So I do think there was a combined duty at that time to grow soccer. And, and essentially the, the main idea, the main purpose at that moment was to create as many clubs as possible, to have FIFA, which is established roughly around that time, to have more national federations. You have the home nations um, being founded not long after England and, and Scotland. So yeah, I think it's only once you get into kind of post-war times, mm-hmm. like in the 50s and certainly into the 60s and 70s when Scotland was was really, um, I mean, I don't want to say more successful than England in, in international terms or, or even club terms, but it, it, competitive, certainly on, on, a, on an equal footing, I would say, to England around that time. It's in those decades that the rivalry as we know it today, I think, starts to heat up a little bit. And I do really enjoy how I think the rivalry has led to an evolution of sorts in tactics and the way the game is played. You talked about it a little bit there with Queen's Park holding effectively soccer schools. And in some of those match reports that that you mentioned, dry as they were, I loved uh, like there was one goal for Scotland at one point described as premeditated choreography, which I thought was fascinating. Uh, There's another one uh, acting in concert leading to a goal. I feel like that's just a very, very highfalutin way of saying passing. Uh, And so it does (laughs) feel like like Scotland would bring new elements. England would adapt to those new elements and then install their own. And so you have this sort of in close quarters development that I think spurred a lot of like 
to like development in the game a weird comparison for it a very weird comparison but that's my brand is sort of my understanding of like the american military before and after the civil war that prior to the civil war not modernized not not mechanized certainly but very much sort of ragtag thrown together uh and then because you have this like sustained period of combat and conflict between the two so closely together it it spurs development, it spurs modernity and modernization of the army. And I feel like there is a similar idea to England, Scotland, that when you have the connection you do, and lest we forget these two teams played each other from that uh, opening fixture until 1989, they played at least once a year, every single year. I do feel like you have some sort of co-development, essentially, or yeah. competitive co-development along the way. Yeah, and that's one of the most interesting things about soccer, or at least the, the origins of soccer in that period between... I'd say roughly the 1880s until like the 1920s is that co-development. And then equally, people generally from the UK, whether it's Scotland or, or England or elsewhere, going to places like Brazil and then the game being adopted in Brazil and then Brazilians evolving it a little bit or it was a Scottish person that took soccer to Argentina. They have a slightly different way of playing soccer to it Brazil. Was Alexis and- McAllister's dad, correct? That's, that <laughs> was course, the first yeah. person. Mm-hmm. Exactly, yeah. And Kevin McAllister is somewhere <laughs> interwoven into the history of soccer. You better believe it. Of course, of course. <laughs> yeah, I, I just find that whole period very, very interesting and it's all kind of culminated in the sport that we have to do and so it's not like such a disparate uh list of results as i might have expected it's 48 what what 48 uh wins for england 41 for scotland 26 draws my assumption would be that as time has gone on uh it has been more england wins than scotland wins yeah i obviously england is 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 now the big dog in this rivalry and i say now because as you can reference taylor until the until the 80s i would say even as late as the 80s it was it was quite equal and and england considered scotland to be their biggest rival at the time and the dynamic has certainly shifted since then and england started taking their rivalries from major tournaments and germany and argentina became rivals for them and Scotland just never moved forward to to keep up in the same way. Now there are there are factors in why that was the was the case, but yeah, it feels like the dynamic has now shifted mm-hmm. since uh, a few decades ago. Uh, a question uh, of genuine ignorance. I'm really excited to hear what your thoughts are. What would you say was the strongest period of the rivalry in terms of quality, but also in terms of maybe a little bit of animosity thrown in there too? But when are you getting the most sort of back and forth? with the highest level of talent or ability in the two teams that is uh that's a difficult one to answer because obviously i'm having to consider it from the english side of things as well but from 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 the scottish side of things the period that uh, that people talk about is in the 70s mm-hmm. so you have a run of four matches in the 70s between 74 and 77 where england won three of uh, excuse me scotland won three of the the four matches and the one that stands out is the 2-1 win in, on uh, june 4th 1977 at wembley and that is the the famous or infamous game Regard, uh, depending on which way you look at it, where the Scotland fans invade the the Wembley pitch at full time after winning and tear the goalposts down, which obviously isn't the, isn't the most becoming of behaviour, but that image of Scotland fans sitting on top of the Wembley goalposts is is kind of iconic and sort of sums up. 
I don't know, it sums up something about the Scottish spirit and psyche and kind of like little plucky Scotland, like coming to invade Wembley sort of thing. We know we know that we are now the, the we're the underdogs in this rivalry. And if you look at the record really since the 70s and look at Scotland wins, I mean, there's one in 81, there's one in 85, then there's one in 1999, which we spoke about in the Patreon yesterday. That was a that was one leg of a two legged playoff, mm-hmm. which Scotland lost. So yeah. even when Scotland last beat England, it was still a defeat over a, over a two-legged game and yeah there's a lot of I'm looking on, on, on the Wikipedia list of results here there's there's a lot of white in this uh, in this list since the 70s and is that difference in quality partially does that explain why we don't have this fixture as commonly because as I said it was at least every year sometimes uh, twice a year until the late 80s then like to, to your point yesterday you have it very seldom do you have this fixture occur naturally or in a friendly. Why do you feel like we did start to see that downturn in the regularity of this game? So I think generally international soccer is is much stronger and and much more broad than it was back in the back in the seventies. So we've spoken about this before on on the show. But a big factor in in Scotland not qualifying for more tournaments is the is the breakup of the Soviet Union and then Yugoslavia which created a big number of comparable sized countries for Scotland to compete against. There's just, there's more countries in UEFA qualifying after that moment. And as I say, there are more countries on a similar footing to, to Scotland. England are one of the biggest nations in Europe, so they didn't really have that, that problem. Um, those countries that were created didn't become big um, rivals or competitors to them. And then I think the creation, if we're looking more recently, the creation of the Nations League and uh, the extra number of qualifiers that teams in UEFA now face. I went back and looked at qualifiers for like the 1978 World Cup, which I believe Scotland actually qualified for. This is the period that every Scotland fan talk, talk, talks about. We were legitimately better than England in 1978. We go to the World Cup they um, around that time. Is it 78? Is it 82? I can't remember. There's a World Cup that they go, you, we go you to. You would know they, better than I. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. But uh, we we had a good team. But like Kenny Dalglish and and like half the Liverpool team that was dominant in Europe was Scottish at that time. Like Hansen and and all, and Sunes and all those guys, all, all Scottish and played for the national team. But I was looking at the number of qualifiers that they would play for those tournaments, and it was like six games or like four games in a group or whatever and so there's just more countries in UEFA that has created more fixtures it means there's more to pack in back in the day you had the home nations championship which is as the the title um, suggests it's a tournament that would happen every year between the home nations and in the UK and so the vast number of England Scotland games came from that tournament around that time in those decades and when when you said Taylor that this wasn't really much of a heated rivalry until some decades later and I pinpointed the 70s and 80s that's when the home nations championship mm-hmm. is around and every single year there are competitive games and I, I believe they were competitive like football has changed a long time a, a, a lot in that in that long period of time and i reckoned if you if you put, if you stuck a home nations championship into the schedule in 2023 they'd kind of be like half competitive mm-hmm. games they wouldn't be considered it'd be a little bit like community shield games or something like that but back in the day in the 70s and 80s they were considered truly competitive games and and it does kind of feel like we've not played england or scotland haven't played england for for um that often in in, in recent decades and it does kind of feel like this fixture is from another age mm-hmm. of soccer yeah. and and that is kind of part of its appeal but I don't really know if it has much of a bearing on 
like the elite level of international soccer as a whole in 2023 for both countries to be honest I think Scotland look it would have been great for us to beat England I'm not going to revise what I said like 24 hours ago I would have loved to have won went to, to have won that match but for us things like qualification for tournaments are more important and for England they're looking to to win world cups and and euros so while in the 70s and 80s it felt like beating Scotland and England was the most important thing it kind of feels like we're in different arenas of international soccer now when you talk about it being another age, the other thing that I think stands out to me is so many of the teams, especially the Scottish teams, or obviously the English team, but especially the Scottish teams that have had success are when they have either they're coming from a very strong domestic side as like, say, the 1967 Scotland team did with the, the Celtic club side. But but then like the 80s teams you're talking about, the 70s teams, there's there's Liverpool connections. There's a lot of what we would call the Premier League now, what was the first division back then. Do you feel at all like the growth of the Premier League, how globalized it has been, how many foreign players have come into it? Do you feel like that has hurt the rivalry or if not hurt the rivalry, maybe limited Scotland's ability to have players playing in that top tier? Because I just don't see nearly as many playing for those big, big clubs because I feel like those big clubs aren't just looking to the UK. They're looking to the UK, but also abroad and to other continents and other regions of the world. And I just feel like it's it's sort of taken a hit as a result. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, a big factor in the changing dynamic is is generally money. And of course, that is where the Premier League comes in for Shocking. England. So uh, yeah, I know everything is linked to money in soccer. Obviously, there's a big population difference between the, t- the two countries as well. We we only have 6 million people and England has what, like 60 million people. So they're always going to have a natural advantage there. But as I've already said, up until the late 80s, um, believe it or not, English and Scottish soccer was generally comparable. We qualified for a number of tournaments. England usually did better when they got to the tournaments, but the standard of players was relatively similar. And then the Premier League comes along and now in 2023, it's just this gigantic gulf between the two countries. And I think the England national team has undoubtedly benefited hugely from the money that has come into the Premier League and the rising quality there. And actually, I know we now think of in the 21st century of, of England as a tier one nation. You know, every, every major tournament, they are among the favourites to win that tournament, whether it's a Euros or a World Cup. But actually, until the up until even as late as like 1994, which England didn't qualify for that World Cup, England were generally kind of a tier two nation in international in international soccer for for at least for like three decades in that period. And I think the Premier League has has played a big role. I think England has been quicker to adopt a more modern method of training young players. Now, they weren't particularly quick either. I think other countries like France and Germany and Spain were much quicker than England. But looking at, at kind of the mid-2000s, I think there was uh, a big overhaul of the way the, the FA structured the youth game. Scotland caught up eventually, but we were probably about like five to ten years behind England in that regard. And we're starting to see some of the fruits of, of that labour in players like Billy Gilmore and Andy Robertson and Kieran Tierney and all these guys that that are now playing at like a good level in the Premier League and no Tierney's now in La Liga. So this is a much stronger Scotland squad than we have had in like over the last couple decades. But we are undoubtedly chasing England. Even even, even factoring for the population difference, it feels like the the money has driven a gigantic wrench between the two countries. But all, there are other uh, there are other things that we can control that we haven't been controlling well to keep pace with England as well. I think it's just very difficult to see this fixture and not 
automatically assume that Scotland have always been the underdogs. Uh, I think maybe that's like political and military history factoring in too. And as we've already outlined, like that wasn't the case. There were times when Scotland were the dominant team and were the favorite team and won multiple games in a row over multiple years. With that said, I I have a hard time seeing as this fixture goes forward in the future of the the game between these two. I have a hard time seeing a scenario in which if you have your first choice 11 and your first choice Scottish 11, first choice English 11 versus Scottish 11, that England won't be the favorite. Can you see a- a- anything disrupting that? Is it is it the Premier League falling off? Is it Saudi Arabia deciding to buy Scottish <laughs> football and put all the money into it? Like, Can anything <laughs> change that one or do you feel like that will be the dynamic, the dynamic for the foreseeable future? No, I think that I think that dynamic is pretty much established. Um like forever now i guess Mm -hmm. like it would take a pretty fundamental fundamental shift in something like as you say taylor the scottish premiership all of a sudden all of a sudden being bought by oligarchs or something like that to be honest i think i think scottish football we and i'm I'm editorializing a little bit here and this is maybe off on on a little bit of a tangent i often feel like there's more discussion about the quality of scottish scottish soccer than there is actually within scotland like other people in england and maybe around the world seem to be more concerned about that than we are we kind of know what scotland is at this point as a national team we qualify for the occasional tournament we'd like to do a little bit better at those tournaments but that's kind of what we are england's frame of reference is, is is much different to ours right now i do think there is a good chance that we will get more matches between england and scotland in major tournaments going forward because recording this in 2023 it does appear and i don't want to jinx anything i'm touching the my desk here which is made of wood not to jinx anything here but it does appear that scotland are going to get to more major tournaments so they made it to Euro 2020 where England and Scotland drew nil nil in the group stage it does at this moment look like Scotland will be at Euro 2024 and they were unlucky not to qualify for the 2022 World Cup so I guess that could make it relevant again if we get more of those matches at major tournaments and also if Scotland can compete again at that at that level I know last night's game wasn't particularly great for Scotland but we did draw with England at their home Euros like two years ago so there there is hope that this this fixture will uh will sustain into the future uh since we've talked about the past and the present of the future i think we should also talk about some specific moments from from this one before we we call this one discussed uh graham the 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 notable ones from the like more generic history that i saw 1928 scotland winning five to one at wembley 1961 england winning nine to three uh that was a, a pretty sizable blowout the one that i think i still have uh, a lot of love for is the 1967 Scotland win. Uh, they win 3-2 over England. I know you know this, Graham, but I'm telling our audience. Uh, <laughs> Scotland win 3-2 against an England team that had won the 66 World Cup, hadn't lost in 19 games, and they, tongue-in-cheek, start referring to themselves as the unofficial world champions. Yeah. I love that that has now been... I believe, like, codified as a real thing, the unofficial uh, football <laughs> world champions. Did you look up who the current champion is, or did you know oh, off the top I don't of your know. head? No, I don't know. Who is it? Tell me. They had a pretty good World Cup. Oh, is it Argentina? It is Argentina. They won oh, it off that's of not Croatia. So fun. I know. So you have a, a unified world champion. You have the official <laughs> and unofficial world champions uh, in one go. Someone has to beat Argentina to take it back. But it's basically from the time that Scotland beat England 
whoever beat Scotland then became the unofficial world champion until that team lost, until that team lost, and so on. And now we have Argentina with both. Uh, when Argentina eventually lose the game, they will still be the reigning world champions, but they will no longer be the unofficial mm. world champions. And I'm sure they will rue that uh, as sadly as not winning a World Cup. You still see Scotland fans walking around with shirts with like the number 67 on, mm-hmm. on, on the back. I, I, it's just something, there's just something really Scottish about that, like 66 plus one. Like that's <laughs> where somehow it's like, ah, but we beat uh, you the next year. Like uh. there's something, yeah, as I say, something very Scottish about that. So yeah, 1967 beating them at Wembley is, is, is an iconic uh, result. Uh, an iconic moment. I mean, it pains me to uh, mention this one, but it would be remiss of me not to um highlight Gaza at Euro 96 I think maybe the most iconic certainly in modern times the most iconic England Scotland goal it's the one where he flicks the ball over Colin Hendry and then volleys it into the back of the net and then celebrates by doing the dentist chair celebration Mm -hmm. which also made it iconic for anyone who doesn't know the context there in the days uh, prior to that game Gascoigne went out on the town or went to the pubs and clubs in London was um, photographed by the tabloid press and there was something like he was he was in a bar and he was sitting in a chair and the, the drinking game was essentially like they were pouring jugs of beer or it was like dentist chair uh, dentist um, equipment with beer in it and they were like scooshing it into his mouth and so he got he lay down on the floor and I think it's Stuart Pierce that comes along with the water bottle and like sprays the water bottle into his mouth as he's sitting in the dentist chair yeah Gascoigne was Gascoigne was a riot like we there's nobody comparable to him in the in the modern game a couple more um memorable moments so Don Hutchinson scored the last winner in a match for Scotland against England it was a header in a Euros playoff game at Wembley that was the one I was talking about in 1999 um a more recent one these are a little bit uh Scottish leaning I have to say (laughs) these are just the ones that stick in my memory I have to mention Lee Griffiths two free kick stunners in three minutes against England in 2017 to this day, that's the craziest I've ever seen a football stadium, I think. So it's Scotland are losing 1-0 until the 87th minute. Lee Griffiths puts down a free kick. It's not particularly close. It's like 30 yards out, sticks it in the top corner, 1-0. Three minutes later, wins a free kick in exactly the same position. Everyone's thinking, no, he's not going to actually do it, is he? Yep, does it, 2-1. In typical Scottish fashion, oh. that we then concede a 92nd minute equaliser to draw 2-2. But in that moment, that felt like the the ultimate scotland national team celebration at hamden people were fought were falling over each other like i'm in the stands and after that everything settles down there's just like a sea of people like falling over and not in their seat and the seats are quite low at hamden as well so it's quite easy for you to like trip over the seat in front of you yeah i'll always remember that goal uh, and i already mentioned the the goalposts the, the scotland fans tearing down the goalposts at, yeah. at wembley glorious scenes although ryan ryan might feel uh, a little bit differently about that one the Kane equalizer is still such just like, can we all just agree that that didn't happen so that that one can be so much more dramatic and impactful? But alas for Scotland fans, that one finishes in the draw. Uh, Graham Ruthven, thank you for taking uh, the time after a Scotland loss to England to discuss Scotland's history of playing England and England's history of playing Scotland. Uh, I very much enjoyed this. I learned some things along the way, and it's always nice to hear you uh, happily talk about past Scottish glories. Thank you, Taylor Rockwell. It wasn't all bad last night. We got to celebrate a Harry Maguire own goal. Harry Maguire scoring on his Scotland debut. <laughs> so, yeah, enjoyed that moment, but thank you. Poor Harry Maguire. Harry Maguire needs to go to Major League Soccer where everyone will just love him and still probably make fun of him, but it won't quite have quite the same, like, uh, 
what's the word? Venom behind it, I mm. think. So until Harry Maguire moves to Major League Soccer, Graham will be doing more Soccer 101 episodes. That will be the final episode right there as Harry Maguire's move to MLS. I look Graham, forward to it. <laughs> thank you again, my friend, for chatting with me today. Thank you, Taylor. Listeners, thank you so much for listening. Uh, we'll talk to you again next week. 